the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, an attorney with Paul Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Today, we will be speaking with Colin Hart, the CEO and Managing Director of ERE Healthcare Real Estate Advisors. ERE is a healthcare real estate consulting and brokerage firm. We're going to talk about Colin's background, the company he leads, and trends in the industry. Colin, thanks for joining me. Andrew, thanks so much for having me today. You bet. Colin, before we talk about your role at ERE, let's talk about your, your background. Tell us where you're from, where you went to college, and what you aspired to be. So sure. Uh, I actually happened into the real estate business by chance, uh, but I'll kind of start at the beginning and give you a little bit of understanding of where I come from. So I originally grew up in the Carolinas, and I started my undergraduate degree at NC State University in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and I was going for business. Um, so, but sometime between my sophomore and junior year, I was looking for an internship and I basically uh, was late in the game. I didn't have anything lined up for the summer and I was, I was kind of looking at my options and figured I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, so I ended up going to a family reunion and I ran into a cousin of mine and I mentioned to him that I was looking for an internship and he said, well, that's perfect. We're looking for an intern. Uh, we run a real estate business in South Florida. We own a bunch of shopping centers and we'd love to have you down. Um, so I didn't have any other options and I thought this might be a good one. Uh, so I decided to move down to Palm Beach Gardens for the month of July. And basically I was working at his company. It's a family office. And so during the day I was learning all about property acquisitions, management, leasing, working with tenants. And then in the evenings he was mentoring me. And so at the end of that internship, I moved back up to NC State and I'm reflecting on that experience. And I decided that I learned more in that month working with my cousin and being mentored by him than I learned in my first two years of university. And so with that, I decided, hey, I really want to have a career in, in real estate. And I moved down to Florida to continue school, but also continue working with him. And so that's kind of how I got started. And eventually I moved into an acquisitions role for that company. And so, as I mentioned, originally they were owning shopping centers all over the state of Florida, uh, but we started branching out and looking for other asset types to acquire. And so we got into the single tenant real estate space. And so in case you're not familiar, that's fast food restaurants, drugstores, gas stations, basically single tenant net lease properties that you can really own anywhere and basically your job as a landlord is to collect rent, okay? And so that allowed us to really open up our box. And so I got into the role of acquisitions, buying these properties all over. So we acquired about $100 million of real estate all over the country uh, in about 30 different states. And so uh, fast forward, and I got to the point where I realized I was never going to own any of those assets. And so I thought, you know, maybe I ought to forge my own path. And so from that point, I left the company and I went to New York and I worked for a private REIT in acquisitions in New York. Um, and so just in the year that I worked in acquisitions, we bought $300 million of real estate all over the country. So I'm coming from, you know, this private, we're investing our own money into working with, you know, an entity that's investing on behalf of others and really needs to get money out the door. So I got a lot of great experience there, but ultimately decided that I was not 
uh, set up for cold weather. And so I relocated to Southern California. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I had kind of left the principal side of the business. I no longer worked for that REIT. Um, but at the REIT, we were acquiring three different types of properties. We were acquiring single tenant industrial assets, single tenant retail assets, and then single tenant medical assets. And that was really my first foray into the medical real estate world. And so what I noticed is that the REIT, we were getting the best deals on all the medical real estate. And I think the reason was because there was poor representation or no representation on behalf of the owners of those medical properties. And a lot of times we were buying properties from doctors. So that was pretty much the advent of the start of our company, ERE Healthcare Real Estate, where we said, hey, instead of being on the buy side, I can move to the sell side, to the advisory side and fill a gap in the market, helping these folks who really are getting taken advantage of to now represent their best interests and get the best possible outcome for them on a real estate sale. Got it. So I know you you worked for um, an investment bank as well. At what point did you say, hey, I need to start my own company. I need to forge my own path. And uh, what really prompted that, Colin? Sure. Yeah. So thanks for, for filling in that gap there. Yeah. Between the uh, the private REIT that I worked for and the founding of ERE, I briefly worked for uh, an investment bank. And so uh, obviously an investment bank focuses on advising um, you know, business owners on how to monetize their businesses. And so we were in the real estate side of that. And so I was working on a small team and basically we would help with the real estate when a practice or hospital or, you know, healthcare organization was being sold. And I just didn't feel like the real estate was the number one focus because again, we were just a, you know, a piece of the investment bank's business. And so oftentimes the outcomes would be subpar on the real estate because we were trying to get the best possible outcome on the enterprise. And so when I saw that kind of conflict of interest or not the best total or aggregate outcome, I said, hey, let's focus just on the real estate side of things. And that was really the founding of ERE. Got it. And did you did you start the business on your own or did you, did you come over with uh, a partner? I, I started with a partner. Fortunately, I met some really great people uh, working at the bank. And so uh, as part of that, uh, a couple of us left at different times and uh, ultimately ended up coming together and founding ERE together. Yeah. Got it. So, so talk about your, your typical client. Is it the, the physician, like independent physician? Uh, talk a little bit about the client base. Sure. Um, so I would say that we've worked with all different types of healthcare organizations. It could be institutional real estate investors. It could be a health system, or it could be the independent physician groups. I would say the majority of our business is in working with those independent physician groups, generally because real estate is maybe the third or fourth tier of their expertise, right? Like number one, they're physicians and providers. Number two, they're members of their community, members of their family. Number three, there may be business people and investors. And then number four, perhaps real estate is the focus. So those are the folks who we can work with where we can add value to their situation. And so that's where a lot of our business comes from. It's, you know, we will certainly advise the health systems and the others, but at the end of the day, uh, we're able to deliver the most value with the folks who perhaps have the least experience in real estate. Got it. And uh, 
Colin, talk about where you're at in the country and markets that you're serving, or maybe it's just nationally. Sure. Yeah. So we have offices in Southern California and in Texas. And so uh, while we have just those two offices, we're really focused all over the country. And the reason for that is because it's not like there's hundreds of physician-owned medical buildings in any one market. Generally, we're working with the specialty physicians in any one market. So that might be gastroenterologists, orthopods, urologists, dermatologists, um, you know, nephrologists, any of these specialty folks often who are in a position where they own their practice and then they also own their real estate. So we literally travel across the country. I mean, we're working on transactions now all the way from, let's say, South Florida to Alaska, believe it or not. So this is our first deal in Alaska, and we're, we're really excited to help those folks. That's great. So, so talk about um, the type of services you're providing. A lot of times we, we think of uh, brokers who are trying to convince physicians <laughs> to sell their real estate or participate in a sale, lease back, or an upreach transaction. Sure. What is your role when you're working with clients, and what is the objective? Yeah, that's a great question, and I appreciate that. So um, I will tell you that we've probably told just as many people that they should not sell their real estate as those who we've told you really should sell your real estate. And so we really take an advisory approach. While we are a brokerage and we do make money when we sell real estate on behalf of our clients, at the end of the day, we take a, a long-term you know, perspective on our transactions with our clients. And so um, we generally are not pushing them for a sale. Generally, they reach out to us or we've been in touch with them for many years and we advise them on certain points in the I don't know, life cycle of their business that, hey, it might make sense for them to explore a real estate transaction. So, um, so the services that we offer to kind of get back to your question, while our primary business is selling real estate, oftentimes on behalf of physicians, there's a lot more to it, right? So you're an attorney and I'm assuming you understand the correlation between like the strength of the lease and the value of the real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So, so that's where we try to differentiate ourselves as advisors. While we sell real estate, we're really experts in leases as well. And so we get involved oftentimes in the lease negotiation process. Totally, we can bring you know aggressive offers. We run a competitive marketing process to generate multiple offers on our clients' real estate when they're ready to sell it. But there's a lot of buildup to that, oftentimes over the course of a couple of years. And so uh, one of our biggest business segments right now is we're working with independent physician groups who are exploring a sale of their practice, let's say to private equity or some aggregator. And so when they're going through a transaction like that, if they own their practice and they own their real estate and they're selling off their practice, but retaining that real estate, there's going to need to be a new lease executed or negotiated between the new owner of the practice and the original you know, physicians who retain the real estate. And so we see so often that the physicians are so focused on the practice deal that they don't pay attention to the real estate and they they negotiate subpar terms. So what we've tried to do is create a lot of education surrounding that and the value of your real estate and the importance of the lease terms. And so we often come in when a practice is going through a PE deal to help them negotiate that lease so that whether they decide to sell the real estate or not, they have the option. Got it. 
So, so talk about some of the um, areas of expertise, like I know you and I have talked about different private equity deals right now. Uh, the private equity firms are really aggressive going after certain specialties. And I know that you and your team have developed um, uh, an area of expertise with ophthalmologists and talk a little bit about that, Colin. Sure. Um, so I kind of fell into the world of ophthalmology uh, just by chance, kind of like the same way I got into real estate. And so uh, what ended up happening is we were working with a couple of ophthalmology practices several years ago, and um, they were really satisfied with the outcome. And so we started getting involved with the different ophthalmology professional organizations, like the, the trade organizations that really cater to the physicians, the providers. And so in going to a couple of those conferences, I noticed that you know everybody's talking about private equity and practice operations, but really nobody was talking about real estate and I didn't understand that. And so uh, in you know corresponding a lot with these different professional organizations, we're able to kind of create a consultant you know membership or role for ourselves where we can add value not only to those individual physician groups that are part of the organization, but also contribute to the knowledge base. Um, and ultimately that's what we're about. So uh, for us, it's just about delivering value from a long-term perspective, not only to specific clients, but like to the, you know, that, that industry or specialty. Got it. And so uh, when you're working with physicians, what are some of the concerns that they raise? You're, you're right that in a traditional sale of their practice, they're focused on the economics of the sale of the practice and the real estate doesn't always get a lot of attention. Right. What type of things are you helping them with? Negotiate the lease term, negotiate um, the lease rate, um, the form of the lease, things sure. like that? It's all of those things plus many more. And so let's just take the private equity piece out of the equation to start out, right? Let's just say it's a traditional sale and leaseback transaction that we're working on with an independent physician group, just to kind of simplify the discussion. And so everybody talks about, hey, we want to get the most money, right? Like I've never heard anybody say, I want less money. And so that's always how the conversations begin. But ultimately, it comes down to what terms are you willing to agree to in order to get to a price like that? And so what we're kind of working against is a lot of brokers, unfortunately, I won't say advisors, but a lot of brokers in the market kind of lead those discussions or try to, to bait some of their prospective clients with the most aggressive pricing possible. And so you know, maybe there's really low cap rates that are available, but hey, is the practice or are the partners willing to sign up for all the obligations that are necessary to get to something like that. So our education process is related to pricing and certainly we can bring aggressive pricing as part of our marketing process, but it's helping our practices understand what the implications of a lease are. What's, what are the market terms of a lease? What is the length of lease that helps them optimize the value of the real estate? What is the rental rate that not only is sustainable for their practice, but also is in line with fair market value. And so there's a lot of nuance to that, as I'm sure you know, as counsel, right? Um, and there's no right answer, but ultimately our goal is to try and balance the short-term objectives of the sale of the real estate and kind of getting the most proceeds with the long-term objectives of the practice, which are ultimately sustainability, right? We're not here to put any of our client practices out of business. It's more about helping them balance those objectives. 
Got it. So, so Colin, talk about, you've been doing this for a while. Talk about how the industry has evolved. I mean, it seems to me that private equity, at least as of late, has been really driving a lot of deal activity. I was just looking at uh, the BOMA MOB agenda for November, private equity is prominently displayed in right. terms of that's a discussion topic. Sure. Um, is that one of the kind of driving forces of the activity as of the last couple of years or what else are you seeing in the industry? I mean, it's, it seems to me that private equity is having a, a very big impact on the healthcare real estate industry. So here's why I think it's having a big impact. And there's changes in real estate, but there's also changes in the operational side of the business and the practices, right? Like the delivery of healthcare. So on the real estate side, first of all, you're seeing so much more interest in healthcare real estate because it fared so well during the recession and through the pandemic, right? You know, rent collections were high and tenants remain in business. And if you look at the investment landscape in the real estate world today, well, retail's not that appealing of a place to invest, just given everything's moving online. And then let's say multifamily, which has traditionally been a really attractive investment class, is a little bit less certain because, hey, right for, for the time being, you can't kick your tenants out if they don't pay rent. So that leaves a lot of investors looking at like, what are the options? And because of the successful track record of healthcare real estate, they say, hey, maybe we should explore this, right? So that's, I think, why there's a lot of additional interest and big volume of transactions in our space. Now, on the provider side and the practice and operation side, I'm not a, a physician, as I know you're not either. And so I can only begin to understand the challenges that they're having. But, you know, I think 20, 30, 40 years ago, Practicing medicine, you know, provided a lot of freedom for the providers. It allowed a lot of creativity and, you know, delivery of care and running their own business. But what we're seeing in healthcare, as is the case in many other industries, is there's a lot of aggregation. And so it makes it challenging for independent practices to continue operating profitably, successfully with limited risk. And so particularly because there's so much pressure on costs from all the third-party payers and Medicare, I think it makes it even more challenging for independent practices to be sustainable. And so what we're seeing, especially in a post-COVID world is, hey, if I could be part of a bigger organization as an independent provider, whether it be a health system or I'm under the umbrella of some private equity-backed management services organization that kind of gives me the negotiating power of a big company, but allows me to you know, operate within the confines of my practice on my own, that might be an appealing idea. And so I think that's what's driving a lot of the you know, trend towards consolidation in, in the practice side of things. And as a result of that, I think that affects healthcare real estate too, because think about it like this. So Andrew, if you own your practice, you probably bought or built your real estate as a way to control the destiny of your practice, right? Like it's an investment, but it's not, but it's also the investment part is like secondary. Number one, you just wanted to own your home, let's say, right? So if you're selling your practice and you no longer control the tenancy in your building, it totally changes the dynamic of the real estate investment. And so from that perspective, we're seeing a lot of folks say, well, the reason I bought or built my real estate was to control the practice but I don't control the practice anymore. So why do I own this real estate? 
And so that's, at least for us, driving a lot of deal flow. So Colin, one, one question I thought of is when we see independent physicians join a larger group or join a, a roll up under a private equity model, um, sometimes I've seen th these, these independent docs are very entrepreneurial. And sometimes they say, look, I want to give this a shot for a couple of years, but, but at some point I may want to go back to being an independent I, or, or maybe reserve the right to do that. Are you, does that come up often in discussions with physicians, meaning, hey, I, I may want to, to terminate the lease and uh, with, with the, uh, the new you know, provider entity um, and then go back, you know, have the right to go back to what I was doing. I, I've seen that come up a couple of times, Colin, is yeah. some of the independents are so, sometimes they, they want all the benefits of joining a larger group, but sometimes they, they, they get frustrated by the bureaucracy. And, and sure. So I agree with you, and I think we'll see a wave of that in the next five to 10 years. Here's why. In our client relationships, the folks who are really driving the practice sales and the real estate sales are the previous generation of providers. Those are the entrepreneurial guys that you're referencing that, you know, that built up their practice because they wanted to control everything. The reason that they're selling is because they need an exit strategy. They need a they need some way to get the sweat equity out that they've built up through those decades of practicing. And so they look to the younger providers who are coming out of school and we're seeing a different financial and work profile associated with those folks. They have less money, they expect more, but they also have more debt. And so as a result of that, they're you know, those incoming providers probably aren't the best candidate to buy the practice from the senior physicians. Uh, and so the senior physicians don't really have an exit strategy. So private equity or a health system would provide that. Now, fast forward five years, the senior physicians who sold are out and the junior guys are still around. And I think eventually you'll see this, uh, this, you know, we want to get away from working for somebody and we want to go back to independent practice. And so I think eventually that'll happen. But along with that comes hard work, uh, risk and entrepreneurship, right? And a lot of the generalizations that we're hearing from our clients, who again, are usually the senior guys are, hey, like we don't see the same mentality in our incoming providers that we had when we started in practice. So, so it remains to be seen, right? I mean, my crystal ball is about as hazy as yours. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you though, that I, I predict there will be a wave over the next, you know, three, four, five years of some of these docs who have joined in a larger practice become employed and, and say, you know what? I kind of want to go back out on my own or join a smaller group or right. have a little bit more autonomy. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Colin, switching gears a little bit, uh, where do you see the opportunities in the healthcare real estate industry? Sure. A lot of activity, right, over the past two years. It just seems more and more investors coming into the space. Where yeah. are the opportunities? Yeah, I agree with you. I think historically there's been so much focus on hospital credit, health system credit, you know, corporate credit, right? Whether it be a hospital or whether it be a national operator like, you know, a DeVita or Fresenius or, you know, some of the bigger urgent care chains that are popping up. I think that corporate credit has always been, you know, something that feels safe that you can hang your hat on as a real estate investor. Um, but I think the 
real opportunity lies in understanding some of the smaller credit worthy tenants and really getting a better uh, understanding of the operations and what makes them dominant in particular areas and that they own the market there for a reason and they're independent for a reason. And I think that makes for a very compelling investment thesis. And it's not new. I mean, I'm not coining something and saying, hey, everybody should go focus on this. There are certainly you know, plenty of participants who are focused on that. But I think that's where a lot of the bigger opportunity is, especially in terms of risk and reward, right? Because if you look at some of those traditionally desirable corporate credit deals, the cap rates or yields on those are really low. So if you're looking for a little bit better you know, risk reward profile, if you properly underwrite some of these smaller credits, I think there's some some value arbitrage to be had there. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Colin, what about surgery centers? I don't know how often you run into uh, physicians that have ownership in a surgery center. There's been an awful lot of activity in surgery centers over the last sure. year or two. Seems to be that they're gaining more traction, but there's also been a lot of new development uh, of surgery centers in certain markets. And uh, what, what's your thoughts on the opportunities in that industry? Sure. So again, I'm not a provider, so I can't give you the nitty gritty in terms of you know the pros and cons of surgery centers. Here's what I'll share with you. Obviously, there's a push to outpatient care. And I think the, the reasoning for that is for you know pressure on cost and outpatient care is less expensive to deliver and therefore the payers want that. That's number one. Number two, I think you're seeing better outcomes and uh, you know lower infection rates in an outpatient environment. So not only is it better for cost, it's better for outcomes, right? So that's, I think that's great. And those are things that are achieved in an ASC setting. Now, from a real estate investment perspective, I would say, like 75% of the transactions that we work on have some ASC or surgery center component, right? So it's a big part of what we do. Um, and I think there's always going to be demand for that, especially, you know, when we were talking about surveying your, your different uh, investment opportunities across the real estate spectrum, you know, you can buy retail goods online. Uh, certainly everyone's always going to need a place to live. So there's always a, an investment thesis for multifamily, but the same applies to surgery centers, which is, Hey, you can't buy procedures on the internet, right? So if someone needs, you know, LASIK or they need to have their cataracts removed, or, you know, they need a colonoscopy or you need a new knee. I mean, you can't do that via telehealth. Right. And so I think that's the compelling investment thesis behind ASCs is like, you need somewhere to do the procedure. So, so I think that in the long run, um, that's where it's at, uh, as opposed to you know inpatient care. Um, but I think maybe you were alluding to you're seeing lots of ASC development, and is that a sustainable model? Is that is that your yeah. question? Oh, that's right. Uh, we we know that there's tremendous demand for those facilities, not just on the real estate side, but on the Opco side. And uh, uh, anytime you see big players like Optum jumping into that space and buying up hundreds of surgery centers, you have to take notice. And sure. um, so I, I've just I've seen a, a tremendous amount of development activity when when we're looking at uh, trends in the industry. And uh, I just think it's interesting to watch. I mean, surgery centers have always been out there, um, but just seems like there's an, an awful lot of momentum right now. Um, right. 
um, in, in terms of investors looking for those assets, but also uh, operating providers looking to gain access to new patient populations. So yeah, I, I agree with you. And just to uh, continue on that a little bit, I think part of the consolidation play, be it in practices or in the surgery component, like in an ASC environment, part of the value proposition for folks buying into the enterprise is, hey, if we own more of these operations, we have more negotiating power with the payers. So I think that's also driving a push into, you know, an interest in that space as well. Makes sense. Uh, Colin, let's switch gears. Uh, a couple more sure. questions before we wrap up. Uh, last time we spoke, we talked about uh, veterinary clinics. Uh, I find those very interesting because they're, yeah. they're, they're also um, becoming hot right now uh, from an investor perspective. We're seeing right. private equity move into that space as well. Right. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts? So it's pretty top of mind for us. We just completed a transaction where we sold six veterinary hospitals. And so that was our first engagement in the space, but we learned a lot about it. Um, I think there are a lot of parallels between human healthcare and veterin veterinary care. Um, but actually, you know, you said, hey, private equity is moving into it. Actually, private equity in veterinary care is probably a decade ahead of where it is in human healthcare. And so I think if you if you really study and, and look at the vet care consolidation, that's what the future holds for human healthcare as well. And so um, I, I think the reason for that, you know, earlier consolidation is because there's obviously less regulation related to the care of animals versus humans, number one. Um, but there are some major operators out there in the vet care space. And the trends that we're seeing in vet care are pretty similar to healthcare in that the consolidation is uh, driven by pricing power, driven by demand for succession planning from you know, those senior founding docs. Um, but what's unique about vet care is you know, in human healthcare, we have this third-party payer system. But in veterinary care, like, do you have an, a pet or an animal? We did for many years, and and I, I think I know where you're going. Okay. So, <laughs> out, out, so out of pocket, private pay. Out of pocket, yeah. So you know, in human healthcare, it's like your insurance company. You pay your deductible. Your insurance company, you know, foots the bill for the rest. Uh, and we don't necessarily see what happens behind the scenes there as a as a patient. But for veterinary care, if your dog is sick, you take your dog and you pay for it cash that day. And that's not to say there aren't some insurance policies for pets, but generally you're reimbursed directly by the insurance company after you pay the bill. And so that's a pretty interesting value proposition for an owner of a vet practice because you're not beholden to these big payers who are putting pressure on your pricing. So I think you know vet care is a desirable investment segment from that perspective. Um, and obviously, I mean, I know you don't have a pet now, but the the growth in pet ownership has never been greater, especially through COVID. And so, you know, more people are having pets and maybe waiting till later in life to have a child, right? So they treat their their pets like a member of their family. And as such, they're willing to, you know, spend money on their healthcare. So so I think it's a, a super interesting space and a lot of parallels to to you know help human healthcare and the real estate surrounding that. Well, I find it interesting as well. Uh, thanks for the insight. Um, sure. Uh, last question. Um, what advice would you give to a young professional getting into the healthcare real estate business? 
I think that's a great question. And I've thought about it a lot, especially as we grow our team. And I think I would take it back to an earlier part of our conversation where we have a really long-term perspective and we're not pushy in terms of transactions, right? My business lives and dies by transactions, but we're not focused on that. We're focused on delivering value to our clients. And so I think that if you're new coming into the business and you can focus on delivering value, whatever capacity or role you have in the business, uh, I think you'll be successful. It's all about that long-term perspective, that persistence and that, you know, delivery of value. So. Got it. Colin, where can uh, our audience learn more about you and your company? Sure. So uh, our website is pretty simple. It's just six letters. It's E-R-E-A-D-V.com. Uh, and you can find everything about our team and our company and all our contact information on our website. Great. Colin, thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, great discussion. Thanks to our audience as well for listening on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave feedback for us. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor to be added to the list. Please email me at adick at allrender.com.